episode 49 of the Online Chicken School podcast. Today we're asking the question, is it a good idea to rescue battery hens? It's time for the Online Chicken School podcast. Whether you've been keeping chickens for years or you're just fixing to get started, we'll help you get your schooling. And now, here's the chicken tenders, Don and Susie. Hello, I'm Don, the big chicken tender. And I'm Susie, the little chicken tender. If you're interested in backyard chickens, you're in the right place. Doesn't matter if you have a whole lot of chickens out in the country or just a few somewhere in the city, this is where we share our knowledge, experience, and opinions to help you get the most out of your backyard flock. All right, let's start off how we normally do with a bunch of farm updates. First one we're going to talk about is something I posted on Facebook, and that is our little Pippa Hen's new hen saddle. She was sporting the regular hen saddle, and we noticed that, um, what do you call it? It's not the tip of her wings. It's kind of her shoulder blades. Was getting a little bare from the rooster, and, um, you know, I didn't want her to get scratched open on that bare area, and I looked online, and sure enough, they have hen saddles with wings. I like to call it a cape. Oh, it does look capish. And she kind of um, had a neat little strut when we put it on her. Uh, we took the old one off and put this one on, and it must have felt different, obviously. It restricted her wings a little bit. And uh, the thing I posted on Facebook was a video of right when I put her down, <laughs> she did this weird back up, walk forward, back up, do a little hop thing. She was trying to figure out what the heck this thing was covering uh, part of her wings. She didn't look like she enjoyed it. No, but she looks darn snazzy. And it seems to be working. I checked underneath the saddle the other day, and her feathers are slowly growing back. That's one of the things when a rooster really uh, has a favorite, like Pippa. I mean, who can blame them? She's adorable. Um, and gets some of those feathers out on their back or on the, the tops of their wings. It will take a long time for that to grow back, even with it being covered. Yeah, it does take a little bit. It's not something that's going to grow back overnight. Mm -hmm. So that's been on her for a couple weeks now. She's gotten used to it. Um, she still once in a while gives me the look. You mean the look like she's out doing superhero activities with her cape in the middle of the night? <laughs> well, she is the one that sleeps in the run. All yeah. the other ones in her coop sleep in the coop area at night. And she like is the caped crusader out on her own keeping watch. She's a loner. She is. But anyway, if you missed that video, um, go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash online chicken school. And once in a while between episodes, I'll post something that happened that was funny or just something that we find interesting around here. Well, I'll tell you one thing that was interesting is about five, six weeks ago, we hatched out a batch of barred rock baby chicks mm -hmm. and Really looking forward to raising these little buggers up to be the replacement for our mating stock. Mm -hmm. And we've got, what, seven hatch out? Mm-hmm, sure did. Now, seven makes me a little nervous in the beginning because you could have four males by the math, which means you only have three females. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that doesn't give me very many hens to pick from. Right. You know, if there's only three hens in that batch. Um, turns out I don't have to worry about that. It's actually the reverse. Mm -hmm. There's only two males and there are five hens. And that's not a bad number of hens to choose from. Out of five, I ought to be able to find two or three that I want to reproduce. Mm -hmm. um, on the male side, that only gives me two males to choose from as to which one has the characteristics I want to mate with the females. Right. Except for the fact I already know that one of these is absolutely a no-go. <laughs> that's right. I mean, under no circumstances are we going to mate this one. <laughs> because at six weeks, he is still mostly bald. <laughs> And we mean like, go to the store, buy a Cornish game hen, take the wrapping off, there's our mail check. <laughs> He's got feathers on his wings, uh -huh. but his body is just male poultry baldness. Yes. I mean, it's like a pre-plucked chicken. Yeah. It just freaks you out every time you look at him. He looks <laughs> sad. And I don't know what we're going to do with him. I don't, I just, He's got a lot of attitude, though. He does kind of like push the ladies around and stuff. I think if you were to say which one was going to be the head rooster out of those two, he would probably do it because he has a little bit of a complex about his baldness, I yeah, think. Yeah, right. So he's got to make up for it with all the boldness. Well, yeah, he's got a lot of spunk. Yes. Well, when we hatched him out, 
it's like he has a little less fuzz than the other ones, but you know, that does happen. Uh-huh. And so then you wait a week or two, the wing feathers are coming in and his wing feathers came in fine, but he wasn't growing any more fuzz to replace the fuzz that was missing. <laughs> and then when the body feathers started to come in on everybody else, he's still bald. Yeah. Matter of fact, he got more bald because he lost the body fuzz he did have yes. and didn't replace it with feathers for the most part. So it actually became more noticeable as time went on and you're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with this chicken? But I thought, listen, they're going to have to grow in, right? At some <laughs> point, the feathers are going to have to grow in. Mm-hmm. They haven't. It's six weeks. <laughs> they haven't. He's still a bald chicken. It's almost time to put them outside. Right. And I don't know what to do because he does not have feathers to keep himself warm, which not a problem right now, mm-hmm. but this is fall. What happens two months from now when he still hasn't grown any body feathers? Right. And he can't keep himself warm when it starts getting really cold at night. That's going to be a problem. Or what if we let them out from their tractor to run around the yard and get sunburned? That could be a problem. I don't want to be slathering a, a little chicken with alo every night to counter the sunburn. Now that I think about it, Maybe I do have a use for them. Okay. What, are you going to travel with the circus? We have, on several occasions, processed some of our birds for meat. Mm-hmm. What is your least favorite part of processing <laughs> chickens? Plucking, which is everybody's. Yeah. If I can find a hen that's bald, and I made it with him, maybe he can pass that down, and we can develop an entire line of broiler chickens that are completely featherless. That is like a million dollar idea. That's a billion dollar idea. <laughs> I mean, anybody who's ever processed a chicken, you know what a pain it is to pluck the feathers. It takes forever. And your only other choice is to go get one of those big washing tub plucking machines. Mm-hmm. And those suckers are like 600 bucks and more. Right. That's the cheap ones. Yeah. So I think there's a market for this bald broiler chicken. And I even got a name for it. Okay. The no plucker clucker. (laughs) Okay, so if anybody out there has a bald hen that they'd like to lend us and split the proceeds, we could really make some some money there. If you know a bald hen that likes to take long walks in the park, likes country music. Okay, you're creeping me out. (laughs) Let's move on to (laughs) another update. For the last update of this episode, we would like to announce that... We have a new puppy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we're exhausted. <laughs> we went and picked him up Friday, last Friday after work. Uh, thankfully, we had him all weekend before we had to go back to work. And it is a lot of work having a puppy. I kind of forgot since uh, it's been like a year or over since we've had a puppy at the house. Yeah, you do forget. Just how much work it is to kind of keep an eye on them, looking for the signs because they're not quite house trained to make sure you can scoop them up and get them outside before they leak on the carpet. <laughs> right. And before they chew all your carpet. And uh, he's obviously going to be an outside dog, but right now he actually just turned seven weeks old today. So we are keeping him in the house. Another reason we're keeping him in the house is that. We introduced him to Max and Sadie when we got home Friday night. And the first thing he did was try and nurse off Max. Max didn't like that so much. (laughs) Not at all. He's like, dude, I don't know what you're doing, but I do not like it. (laughs) That is not what you use that for. (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, he moved on to Sadie and tried to do the same thing with her. So they are both... Very irritated with him. Um, They'll still play with each other. Max and Sadie will still roll around and have a good time and play. But as soon as the puppy walks up and tries to play too, they're like, nope, we're done. Goodbye. Yeah. Well, you could tell that first little uh, play session we put together Friday night when we got him home. Max was just not impressed. No. And he was not thrilled about the possibility of another puppy. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, you know, we had the camera out. We were taking a couple of pictures and I got this one picture of Max <laughs> and he's just laying flat on the ground. He, he kind of went away from us, not too far, but just a little bit of ways away to be away from the puppy. He laid flat down on the ground. His head is down flat. And I took this picture of his face and his, he's just collapsed there. His eyes are looking up at heaven and you can just tell he's saying, Lord, <laughs> please, please give me the strength <laughs> to deal with 
with another little puppy. Or he's saying, please tell me we're not keeping that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we will have to post those pictures because you got some really cute ones. Um, His name is going to be Gordo. He's named after Gordon Cooper, one of the original Mercury astronauts. God bless. (laughs) And it also has a nice little secondary meaning in the Spanish culture, which means little fat one. Yes. He's a little chunky monkey. (laughs) So it fits now. And I figure he'll either grow up to be big and chunky and it'll fit or he'll grow up to be skinny and it'll be ironic. There you go. We love the ironic names. Well, we had talked about him a couple episodes ago that we had found him or found the pack of puppies. We didn't Mm -hmm. find him specifically, but found the pack of puppies he's in. And he is, if I remember right, half Pyrenees, one quarter Anatolian Shepherd, and one quarter Plot Hound. Mm-hmm. His father is huge. Oh my gosh. I mean, stands about, feels like three and a half feet tall, four feet tall. Mm. I mean, just huge. Um, Ama, not quite so tall, so I'm hoping she'll temper his size a little bit. We don't right. need him to be quite the size of a bear. <laughs> Well, and that's what he looked like. When we went and saw the parents the first time we met the dog, um, we met the dad, and Don was standing there, and the dad just kept jumping straight up in the air. Not onto him, but straight up. And it, every time he did that and got up on his back legs, it looked like a bear to me, I mean, because he was taller than you. Yeah, he was towering over me, which is not normal for a dog. <laughs> and it was very kind of freaky to me. I'm like, no, no, you guys go in the fenced area. I'll stay out here. <laughs> well... Gordo was one of 11 puppies, mm-hmm. and I tell you, every one of them was cuter than the next. Every one of them was adorable. Oh, absolutely. But he was one of only a few that were short-haired. All of them had that sort of long Pyrenees hair, mm-hmm. and we liked the fact that he had shorter hair. The reason I like the shorter hair is just it gets so stinking hot here in Florida. It's just mm-hmm. easier for them to sort of manage with shorter hair than the longer hair. Right. And out of those 11 puppies, there was only three males. And I really wanted a male and there was only one male short haired puppy. So, and it just happened to be the one that every time I was looking at this guy's videos of the puppies and the pictures, I was just drawn to him. Um, These were the same puppies that I was cyber stalking (laughs) that I talked about. (laughs) And uh, he called us last Friday, said, Hey, I just got back from the vet. I got the health certificate. Everything checks out. They're all good. Do you want to come pick them up tonight? And I went, we're on our way. <laughs> yep. I called Don and said, let's go. Yep. So that's been exciting. And uh, even though Max is not thrilled to have a little puppy around, he really has been taking the role of training him pretty seriously. Mm-hmm, he has. Um, we were out with the chickens the other day to see how Gordo would react around them. And uh, when we had the bigger chickens out, the more mature chickens, he really didn't give two thoughts to them at all. Well, because they tower over him. Yeah, I think he was just like, no, I'll play with the dogs. (laughs) And then last night, I think it was, we let out the Delawares and the Brahmas, and they're a little smaller. Right. And you know, like that puppy pounce where they just kind (laughs) of like keep running from side to side, like, I'm going to play, I want to play. He kept doing that in front of the one Delaware rooster. And Not a good move. No, that Delaware rooster stood up as straight as he could. And as soon as the puppy got close enough, pecked him on the head like three times. <laughs> and what was interesting is that as soon as that happened, Max came walking up. He's always watching. Max is a watcher. Yeah. He's and never off duty. He's no. always paying attention. And he came up immediately. He didn't run, but he walked right up in between Gordo and the chicken and just kind of walked the chickens away. And I thought that was so interesting, like, hey, little puppy, I really can't stand you, but I don't want you getting pecked by a chicken. (laughs) Well, he also was doing the thing where when Gordo was going after some of the chickens, you know, just kind of going to play with them and explore them a little bit, Mm. he would also step in to kind of usher the chickens out of the way, sort of to keep the chickens away from Gordo, not not for Gordo's sake, but for the chicken's sake, it looked Mm -hmm. like. Yeah, I think you're right. So it's a very interesting dynamic going on there. We're going to have to obviously watch him around the chickens because I think he just wants to play with something. Right. And I don't want it to be the chickens because yeah. <laughs> that could go very wrong. Uh, so we keep trying to do what we can to make a nice environment for all three dogs to get along. And I think it's going to just take some time 
especially when it's so hot right now. I, I just don't think they the adults want to play. Sure. You know, but it's a wonderful thing. We'll be posting some pictures on Facebook so you guys can see it. Obviously, nothing can ever take Shep's place, but we are glad we've got a new puppy in the family that we can start raising up and uh, getting him on guard duty. It's time for the cooking segment, or as I like to call it, what do you do with all them darned eggs? Here's Susie. Okay, this isn't so much a recipe as it's a tip. Now, who doesn't love hard-boiled eggs? Mm, mm, I love hard-boiled eggs. I mean, so much can be made from them. Deviled eggs. Hard-boiled eggs. <laughs> egg salad. Hard-boiled eggs. Yes, and hard-boiled eggs by themselves. Come from hard-boiled eggs. <laughs> but when you're working with farm-fresh eggs, I'm sure everyone has felt that frustration of not being able to get the shell off the egg after it's done hard-boiling. Is that what the problem is? Yeah, that's why sometimes you used to get like a mutilated egg with like half the white missing. Yeah, I, I get those eggs and it's like the shell is super glued to the egg meat. Mm -hmm. And it's like I just ripped the entire thing to shreds and I'm left with nothing but a yolk. <laughs> Which you don't throw out. I mean, you do still eat it. I don't throw it out and it is my favorite part and it is the most nutritious part. But I do like a little bit of white with my yolk. Yeah. But, I mean, anybody with farm fresh eggs, you've had that frustration. Now, those of you that buy eggs from the store, they're usually a couple weeks old. You hard boil them up. You peel it right off. You have no idea what we're talking about. Now, I have discovered how to get the shell off of farm fresh hard boiled eggs. No longer will you have mutilated hard boiled eggs. They are going to be gorgeous. You can actually use these for deviled eggs because you won't have left all the white in the shell. <laughs> okay, well, stop teasing us. Tell us. <laughs> All right, here's what you do. You don't need to change your cooking method. You can either do the boil method. You can steam them. That's how I hard boil my eggs is in a steamer. Or you could do the new way, which is putting them in a little muffin tin in the oven. Whichever way you do it, great. But right before they get done, get a bowl of very cold water, add some ice. And then as soon as your egg comes out from cooking... You carefully, because it's very, very hot, <laughs> crack it on the counter a couple times, put it in the bowl. And you do that with all those eggs. With the shell on it. With the shell on it. I mean, just crack it to just get some cracks in the in the shell itself. I usually go towards that big air end, you know, that has the big air pocket. Air sac. Air sac. And you just crack a couple cracks in the egg, stick them in the cold water, let them sit there a minute, two minutes. And then you take them out and you peel the shell right off. No white egg flesh in there at all. Peels right off. Get out of here. No, I will not. Did you bring samples to prove this? Well, I actually packed some in your lunch last week. Those were our eggs that I had peeled. Oh, great. Yes, lovely. So excited about it. Uh, I When I'm peeling them, I peel them under running water, so I don't know if that helps at all, but I, I mean, you crack them, put them in the bowl, leave them there a minute, so if you're frustrated with your farm fresh eggs, hard boiling and not being able to get this, the uh, shell off, give it a try. It will save you a ton of frustration. And now the news, news, news. Okay, so in the chicken news today, we have three very entertaining stories about chickens and your government at work. Uh-oh. Well, as we've talked about in previous episodes, the avian influenza has been spreading across the United States. And in order to sort of keep it from spreading to all of the commercial flocks, the federal government's been in destroying flocks left and right, mm -hmm. just trying to stay ahead of this thing. And the idea is identify a flock with avian influenza, wipe them out as fast as you can before they contaminate another flock. Mm-hmm. The way this is typically done, you know, you say, well, you got 60,000 birds in a warehouse. How do you kill them? Well, the way it's typically done is you just take all the people out, hopefully, and then you fill the warehouse with carbon dioxide. Pretty effective. But it's a pretty humane way of killing a large number of chickens. It's a method that's signed off on by the Humane Society of the U.S., so I'll take their word for it. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, well, our chief veterinary officer for the U.S. Department of Agriculture has a different idea. He said, hey, I think we could kill these birds a lot faster if instead of trying to fill all these warehouses with carbon dioxide, what if we just turned off the ventilation system and let them all bake to death? Oh, my gosh. I just, there's just no words sometimes. Well, you wonder, okay, well, what does that do? Mm-hmm. Well, you turn off, because you call it the ventilation system. So you say, well, aren't you kind of doing the same thing? You're taking the air away. It's not about the air. It's about heat. Mm-hmm. You turn off the ventilation system uh, this time of year, it starts to get pretty hot in there. Right. And they've likened this basically to leaving a dog or your child in your car with all the windows rolled up and just leave them out in the baking sun to basically bake to death. And apparently it takes a while and it's pretty miserable. I don't understand how that could even come up as an option. I mean, maybe you go, okay, let's throw out some ideas here. And someone throws that one out and everybody goes, okay, that's really stupid. And then they go on to the next idea. But to be that high up and to actually give this as a suggestion. Well, I would think that when you're that high up the food chain, you would have the common sense to know when you don't know. Right. Because I don't expect this guy to know everything about chickens and, uh, you know, pet iguanas and Mm -hmm. beef and, you know, okay, fine. I get that. But you're supposed to know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And before you go to the press and start putting out these really brilliant ideas you had when you were in the shower this morning. I don't know. Maybe run them by your advisors and say, hey, guys, what do you think about this? Go to an actual chicken farmer and say, how does this work in comparison to what you do now? All right. So that's story number one. Get a little bit of backlash from the Humane Society there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So our second story of avid influenza comes from the state of Georgia. Now, Georgia really has a vibrant poultry industry. Yeah, they sure do. A lot of money changing hands on the chickens in Georgia. Mm-hmm. So they get a little freaked out when all the news reports are saying, avian influenza is coming, look out. Right. And of course, as we mentioned in the last story, if they find influenza in a commercial flock, the federal government's going to come in and destroy all the birds mm-hmm. or order them all destroyed. So the state is trying to sort of get ahead of the situation. Mm-hmm. And somehow the state of Georgia found out that there were three families that owned chickens and they had received eggs or baby chicks from a farm in Iowa. Well, when they got the birds from Iowa, that flock had already been tested for avian influenza and the test results were negative. No problem. But after they got the chicks and the eggs, that same flock tested positive for avian influenza. So the state of Georgia said, well, we need to step in and wipe out these three family flocks just in case they might have gotten avian influenza. Now, I would think if the state of Georgia suspected that these birds may have avian influenza, they would go in and say, hello, backyard chicken keeper. We need to test your birds because why kill them if they're negative? And in this story, uh, this guy had hundreds of chickens. I mean, it was actually his business. He would sell chicks and eggs, and it kind of hits a little close to home for us. Not that we're on any scale like that, but we sell chicks. So when I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, this, I could put myself in this guy's place. And uh, instead of testing the birds, um, they just went, hey, suspicion's good enough. And they took and wiped out all his uh, flock. Right. They said, We think maybe you might kind of, sort of, coulda had avian (laughs) influenza. Therefore, we want to just kill all your birds. Mm -hmm. And the part that really irks me a little bit is the Georgia Department of Agriculture came right out and said, we don't believe that these birds are infected, but we can't take a chance. (laughs) I'm like, wait a minute. Does that make sense to anybody? No. We'll just preemptively kill the chickens because they might have avian influenza, even if we don't think they do. Well, why stop there? Because if you want to follow the logic stream, you say, well, okay, if it's possible that those birds could have got infected many weeks ago from a farm in Iowa, then it's also possible that last week a mosquito bit one of those birds and carried the influenza to the flock next door. 
and that one is infected. And then the mosquito went on and infected the next flock and then the next flock and then the next flock. Oh, and by the way, then it went into the commercial house that you're trying to protect and it bit a chicken there. So if you want to play the maybe coulda game, well, you could say that any bird in Georgia could possibly, maybe, sort of have avian influenza. We don't think they do, but you know what? In order to save the poultry industry in Georgia, we better wipe the entire thing out. That's the logic. It's, it's Just to make sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, we don't think any of them do, but <laughs> you can't be too careful. Well, and I understand quarantining birds while you're waiting for test results. I totally understand that. Yeah. But when you're the a government agency, I got to imagine you could have that test result back pretty quick. When we get our chickens tested every year, uh, we bring them to the vet. We have that result in like three days and we're just nobody. Well, I know on like when I watch CSI, <laughs> they have some incredibly complicated DNA tests. And they're always back before the episode's over. And the episode's <laughs> only 40 minutes long once you take the commercials out. So, I mean, I know it could be done very quickly. Yeah, well, absolutely. Because everything's true on TV. Right. <laughs> but I mean, seriously, you may go, well, you know, that's that guy's farm. Doesn't affect me at all. But you know what? It could affect you if other states pick up this hysteria and throw logic out the window and they come knocking on your door. Yeah. Well, you know, and some people just are kind of irked that their their remedy is to just kill all the birds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember in our conversation with Joel Salatin, you know, he said they're going about it the wrong way. You know, you kill all the birds that have avian influenza, you're just guaranteeing that the next generation of birds is all going to be susceptible to avian influenza. Mm -hmm. He said, if you kind of go the natural route, let avian influenza destroy all the birds that don't have a resistance. What you're left with is birds that survive have a natural genetic resistance to avian influenza that they can pass on to all the future ones. So then when you mate those birds, Mm. you then have an avian influenza resistant nation of chickens. Right. Now, I, I get the theory of that. I think it would be hard to put into practice because you're probably going to lose, I'm just guessing, 80, 90% of your, your layer flock mm-hmm. commercially. And if you think egg prices are expensive now, right? I mean, take 80, 90% of the birds out and then wait for 10 years for the flock to get built back up again. So I don't, I don't know how workable that is. Personally, I don't have a big issue with the government coming in and saying, listen, uh, we need to test your birds because this is one of those things that's really for the benefit of the entire industry. Mm-hmm. I get that. You know, you're you're not an isolated flock, unfortunately, because of mosquitoes. And I don't have a problem with them saying, look, you got to destroy the birds that they find with it. I don't know that I 100% agree with it, but I don't 100% disagree with it either. I, I, I'm kind of fine with it. Mm-hmm. But it's just a little weird to say, you know what? Uh, this might be bad, so we're just going to wipe everything out. Right. Or we're going to handpick what we're going to wipe out. That's just a little weird to me. Yeah, it seems a little over-exaggerated and extreme. Okay, our third news story applies to the beautiful state of North Carolina. Love the state. The Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services for North Carolina has instituted a new rule for chicken keepers. Mm-hmm. And not commercial chicken keepers. This is anybody who owns at least one chicken. So if you have one baby chick, you are subject to this new rule. And the rule is that you have to register with the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services your chickens. Now, this doesn't mean you need a permit to own chickens. Mm -hmm. But if you have even one baby chick, you have to tell the state government about it and register so they know where every chicken in the state is. And the reason that they say they want you to register is so that if there's information that you need, they'll be able to get it to you. Yeah. Don't see any red flags there. (laughs) Well, left on its own, you might go, oh, that's interesting. But it's not voluntary. Mm -hmm. It's not okay, sign up for this so we can send you information as it comes up about avian influenza or chicken keeping. It's it's going to be a crime for you not to do this. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you will do it. Right. So that we can notify you and just be helpful. <laughs> like, wait a minute. Um, when you combine that with the last story, call me cynical, 
<laughs> but I'm like, the first thing that pops into my head is they want to know where all the chickens are. So then when it comes time to get rid of all the backyard flocks, they can more efficiently go in and make sure they killed all the chickens. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, now I don't think they're going to go around and kill every backyard chicken in the state. I'm not saying that. I'm not going to the conspiracy level theory of saying they're trying to get rid of backyard chickens. But here's what I do think. <laughs> Those bureaucrats, what they're trying to do is say, okay, we've decided over here in County A, there might possibly be avian influenza. We, we don't know that there is, but we're not going to bother to find out. We just think that there could be under certain circumstances. Let's go wipe out every chicken in that county to save the state poultry system. Mm-hmm. Not too far-fetched. It's not that far-fetched. I mean, that does sound a little conspiracy level-ish on its own, but it's not too far-flung. No. Based on everything that's going on now where it's like, yes, this is the kind of thing that they do. Yeah, the overreaction. Uh, never seen that before. <laughs> yeah, meanwhile... Again, 90% of all the avian influenza infections are in the commercial industry. Mm-hmm. You never hear them say, you know, we need to wipe out all these commercial flocks to save the backyard chickens. Yeah, that's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Just doesn't bring in enough uh, political pull there. Yeah. So if you're in North Carolina and own chickens, sorry about that. <laughs> Don't mean to break you the news to you. Well, and I can't even tell you, I mean, you got to decide what you're going to do, whether you're going to do this or not. I mean, there's a lot of people out on Facebook saying, I ain't doing that. There's no way I'm registering my chickens. None of your business. If I have a chicken in my backyard, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to register. That's right. Now, what would we do in that situation? I got to be honest with you. I don't know Mm -hmm. because I really am of the mindset that, hey, it is none of your business Mm -hmm. until I invite you in to make it your business. Right. But at the same time, we live in that world now where if you didn't register your chicken, all of a sudden the SWAT team is kicking down your door because you have a chicken that you didn't register. So what would we do? I have no idea. Yeah, I just hope Florida doesn't pass that. I, I'll be honest with you. Maybe I am a coward. I probably would register them. <laughs> I don't want to. My main goal in life is not ending up in a jail cell. Yeah, it's just to be <laughs> left alone pretty much. You asked for it. Here it is. All right. So we got a question from Erin, and she says, looking for advice. I have four barred rock hens, one Orpington hen, and one mutt hen. I have one barred rock that I know has started to lay eggs, but the last four eggs we got have been thin-shelled, soft-shelled, and broken. And I think the broken egg is the result from laying it while on the roost. Bombs away. (laughs) That would be a surprise to the chicken underneath, huh? Yeah, right. (laughs) She says they're on Purina Laina Crumble, and I have oyster shell available to them. They also get plenty of fresh herbs and veggies. They appear to be healthy, so I'm hoping this is normal when pullets start to lay as they are new at it. Thanks for your reply. I'm going nuts here. Now, Don was dialoguing on Facebook with her about this issue, and then she sent this. Well, the saga continues. The broken egg is the result of an egg eater. I caught one of the barred rock hens in the act this morning. Well, Erin, that is one of those tough problems to uh, break a hen of. And how interesting that we got that response from her about the egg eater. And was it like two days later, we're cleaning out our nesting box with our barred rock hens in it? Yep. And we get a couple out of one side, and then the other nesting box, there was a broken egg. It wasn't just broken because there was no egg material. Right. They were broken and eaten. Yes. So, Aaron, you're in good company. We have an egg eater as well. What you don't realize is last week was National Bard Rock Eat an Egg Week. (laughs) Yeah, and I guess ours and yours participated in this. Uh, Fortunately, you know which one of your Bard Rock hens is eating the eggs, whereas we do not yet. Well, Aaron, there are a couple ways to deal with an egg eater. The most effective one that we've heard about is the mustard egg. Yeah, that's where you take an egg that was laid. You blow out the insides of the egg, poke a hole in each side, just blow it out. You're supposed to blow those out? Why? How are you doing it? I thought you are supposed to suck them out. <laughs> All right, you're not rocky here. <laughs> 
and then fill it with mustard. And then you put that mustard-filled egg back in the nesting box, and hopefully the egg eater will go in there for a tasty treat, uh, poke open the egg, and get a nice beakful of tasty mustard. Yeah, and you can't do just one, though. You're going to have to make a couple of these suckers. The more mustard eggs you put in there, the better chance of them getting one of those instead of one of the fresh, yummy eggs. And it also may take a couple mustard eggs before they go, okay, that's it. I'm tired of out of a face full of mustard. I'm not dealing with this anymore. Yeah, it's a it's a process. But everybody I've talked to that's done this says it works. So it's worth the effort because you don't want any of your chickens in there eating up all your yummy eggs. Because mm-hmm, I got to imagine once they get a taste for them, it is never going to end. Well, also, how long is it going to be before that one teaches the next one to start mm-hmm. eating eggs? So it's not something you want to wait. You want to get on that pretty quick. Definitely. Okay, now that solves the egg eater issue, but you still had a problem with the thin shells. You said you were providing oyster shell on the side and they were on regular commercial feed, which means they should be getting plenty of calcium. Then the issue is probably linked to the fact that they just are young layers. That is normal when chickens start laying their first eggs that they're just not quite right yet. You know, it Mm -hmm. takes them a little while for their bodies to figure out how to do everything right. Mm -hmm. And so I wouldn't worry about that. As long as you can fix the egg eater situation, the thin shell thing should fix itself pretty quickly. Yep. So good luck, Aaron, and let us know how it goes. Now, in a similar light, we also got an email from Andy. And Andy says, my chickens just started laying about a week and a half ago. How long before the eggs start coming out a normal size? They have been a little small. Well, Andy, that's what we call a pullet egg. Pullet being a female chicken that is under a year old. Mm -hmm. And pullet eggs are just those first eggs that they start laying Besides the high probability of getting some freaky eggs, like ones that have thin shells or just weird shaped ones or double yolkers or triple yolkers, they tend to be small when they start out. Mm -hmm. And that's normal. It'll happen for, I mean, we've had ones that they did that for about a week Mm -hmm. and then they just started getting bigger. They didn't jump up to big size right away, but they just started getting bigger after that. I think we had some that maybe went a little bit longer, but it's never too long. Well, remember that one time they were laying the just tiny little eggs and then we checked the nesting box and there was that massive, huge, oh, gigantic right. egg. It looked like maybe two or three of those pullet eggs. And oh my gosh, we saw that thing and went, whatever hen laid that is going to be really, really sore because that was a monster. I've never even seen one of our full size hens lay an egg that big. Yeah. So Andy, don't worry about the eggs being too small. Uh, The one nice thing is you can impress your friends and family by saying you had a seven egg omelet in the morning. (laughs) Don loves doing that. And if anybody else has any questions, you can email them to us uh, using our website, onlinechickenschool.com or post it on our Facebook page. Well, another thing we received this week is a really nice iTunes review from Piper. And Piper says, I am so glad I found this podcast. I am new to raising chickens this year and love it. This podcast is full of great information. Some things I knew, but others I was happy to learn. Plus, Don and Susie are fun to listen to. Keep up the wonderful podcast. Well, Piper, thank you so much for that really nice iTunes review. If there's one thing Susie loves, it's iTunes reviews. I do. I like to hear that uh, people are getting something out of the podcast. Okay, well, before we get to the main feature today, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping on Amazon this week, consider going to our website first at onlinechickenschool.com and clicking on the Amazon link over there. And it's going to take you to the same Amazon site that you know and love, and you pay the exact same price for the things you buy, but Amazon will give us a little bit of a commission, and this would really help us pay some of the podcasting bills. So if you like the show and you want to help us keep it up, Just go to onlinechickenschool.com and click on the Amazon link to make all your Amazon purchases. Some of you are doing this on a regular basis, and we really, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. There they go again. More shameless self-promotion. Okay, for the main feature today, we're going to springboard off an email question we received from Yulia in California. Right. And Yulia writes, one of our neighbors sent this message to our community today. Found there's a place called Animal Place Hen Adoption. If you don't mind a one and a half to two year old leghorn hen, then consider an alternative to raising chicks and you're helping a good cause. They currently have over 1,500 ladies that are looking for homes. They are all layers. 
For $10 a chicken, you can have a ready flock, which is cheaper than raising from a chick. Just thought I'd let anyone know that would like to add to a flock. Yulia asks, what do you think about chicken adoption? Well, Yulia, that's a great question. You know, when I first read through what you wrote and the notice that you found, my first thought was that these were chickens just dumped in a standard animal rescue. You're starting to see that a lot where, you know, you have these small farm rescues, small animal rescues, and chickens are getting dumped there more often because Mm -hmm. unfortunately, as more people get backyard chickens, most of them love it, but some people find out that you do have to go collect the eggs once in a while, (laughs) fill the feeders, fill the waterers, and I'm just not ready to do that. Mm -hmm. So they just start dumping their chickens on these little rescue places. And that's kind of what I thought was happening here. And if that was the case, to me, I think that's worse than going to Craigslist. Mm Mm-hmm. To me, that sort of means somebody tried to get rid of them on Craigslist and mm. nobody wanted them. Yeah, that could be too. So if you couldn't find somebody on Craigslist who wanted them, they're probably not in great shape. Absolutely. And so you kind of run into all the normal issues that we're always preaching about mm-hmm. that, you know, you're going to end up with somebody sick, old, or non-laying hens. Mm-hmm. However, when I read through that notice a second time, there's three things that jumped out at me. The chickens are one and a half to two years old. Mm-hmm. They're all leghorns, and there's 1,500 of them. (laughs) That's a lot of chickens. That's not a backyard project gone bad. Oh, no. That's some serious chicken numbers there. So to me, those three facts add up to old battery hens. That's right. When I read it, that's the first thing I thought is, okay, someone rescued a bunch of hens from a commercial farm, and now they're up for adoption for everyone. Well, let's get everybody up to speed here, because... You start throwing around terms like battery hens. Not everybody knows what that is. Right. In the commercial laying flocks, or as I like to call it, the chicken warehouse. Or big egg. Yeah. You've got a giant warehouse filled with 60,000 or so chickens. And the way they keep them all organized is they have a bunch of stacking cages. They're small, very small cages, but they fit six chickens into one of these cages. And basically, each chicken in the cage has about as much space as a sheet of paper. That is not much space. No. Matter of fact, when we do our chicken classes, I have this box that I take out, which is about the size of a battery cage. It's maybe an inch or two off in one dimension or another, but it's pretty close. Mm -hmm. And before we start talking about chicken housing, I always put that box up on the counter and I always say, so take a look at this box and let's pretend this was a cage. Knowing what you know now about chickens, how many chickens would you house in that cage? 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Their entire life. Right. And you'll get a few people say, well, maybe one. Mm -hmm. Most of them say, none. I wouldn't put a chicken in there. Yeah, that's horrible. That's cruel. Yeah. Well, they put six chickens in there. Right. And so that's what a battery cage is. And they stack these things up and basically put 10,000 of them in a warehouse so that you can house 60,000 chickens. So the deal with the battery hens is that They're all crammed in together, and that overcrowding makes for very cranky hens. (laughs) Yeah, could you imagine being stuffed side by side in just, let's say, an elevator with uh, six or seven, eight people for a year and a half? I think you get on each other's nerves, don't you think? Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Well, for the chickens, because this happens and they get irritable, they have to de-beak them. Yeah, Basically, all they do is cut the tip of their beak off so they can't poke each other Mm -hmm. when they get agitated. Because if they poke each other and draw blood, now you got a real situation on your hands. Right. Because the chickens, when they see blood, will just start continually pecking at it until they end up killing the chicken. Yeah, they go nuts. And when you got 60,000 chickens, it's not a good little thing to get started. (laughs) Could you imagine coming into that place in the morning when uh, one of them had gotten a little cut or something? No, (gasps) not a good idea. No. So the... Bigger question in this situation becomes, is it a good idea to rescue battery hens for your backyard flock? And the simple answer to that is, it depends. (laughs) Okay, thanks for listening. Hope that was really informative. Talk to you next time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, it really depends on you, your personality, your tolerance, Mm -hmm. and really what you want to accomplish with your flock. For some of you... This might be something that brings you great joy, knowing that you took this hen that had a very miserable first two years of her life, Mm -hmm. and you can take and give her a nice little backyard experience, give her lots of space, 
give her fresh air, which she's never seen in her life. She's probably never seen the sun in her lifetime, which is mm-hmm. hard to imagine. And I'm going to provide that for, I don't know, six to 10 chickens, however many you want to take on. And I'm going to provide that for them. And that'll just bring me a lot of satisfaction knowing I did that. Right. So for some of you, that's not a bad idea. Now, for others, instead of great joy, it might bring you great frustration. I mean, you kind of have that romantic idea that you're saving this poor little gal from her former existence, and that's not a bad thing, but you should really know what you're getting into before you commit to taking some of these girls on. All right, so let's just unpack this a little bit and talk about what does it take to raise a battery head? Mm -hmm. Because they do require some TLC and they require a little more attention than your standard backyard chicken. All right, so when you're dealing with chickens, obviously the first thing people want to know about is, what about the eggs? Oh yeah, it's all about the eggs. Commercial laying hens were developed to lay a whole lot of eggs (laughs) in a very short period of their life. And when they're done, the industry refers to them as spent hens. And this doesn't mean that they're all used up and they have no more usefulness. Um, They're going to keep laying and they may lay quite a few eggs, but... Remember that you're getting a hen that's around two years old. So it's not going to be too long before she reaches the point that her egg production is going to start to decline. And you have to remember that they may not lay a lot of eggs right from the start when you get them. So you'll probably get many years of eggs, but you're sort of on the back end of the curve instead of the front end of the curve. Mm -hmm. Instead of you're getting them at their peak laying performance, You're getting them when they're starting to decline a little bit. Doesn't mean they're going to stop in a month, Mm -hmm. but you're not going to get the same number of eggs out that the factory got out. Right. And if you're thinking, well, I'll get these old factory hens and start my own factory, (laughs) well, you're going to be pretty disappointed. Yeah, not going to happen. Another thing you want to think about is the health of these birds. Mm -hmm. When you get hens from, say, this rescue organization, Mm -hmm. they may have had a little bit of rehabilitation time before you got them. But there are people that sometimes go right to the layer houses and they'll literally get the birds right from there and take them home. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, these birds are probably going to look a little rough. Oh, yeah. If you've ever seen pictures uh, from some of these layer warehouses, they've got feathers missing. There's bare patches, even like our little barred rock chick. I mean, bare birds. It's the no plucker clucker, baby. (laughs) In the egg industry. How interesting. Well, and that's not something to be really concerned about. Feathers will start growing back reasonably soon. You kind of just got to get them into sort of a healthy track. Mm-hmm. And when their body is getting the right kind of nutrition and is in sort of a healthy place, they'll grow their feathers back. And it's likely that within a month or so, they should start looking like regular hens. Mm-hmm. Another thing when you're thinking about health of a former battery hen is you want to perform frequent parasite checks during the first few months. And we always say, you know, to check your birds for lice, mites, and fleas once a month. And that's if you have a normal backyard flock that you've been raising. You're going to want to check a former battery hen for lice, mites, and fleas, and worms, I would say at least once a week or so to start with. Their health is not great, so they're very susceptible to a lot of things. Until their health gets to really full vigor, mm-hmm. you're going to want to check them often to make sure that, you know, if they're in a sickly state, the last thing they need is a, a mite infestation sucking more nutrition out of their system when they're already weakened. Now, I got to imagine that a bird that has not been handled because Uh, I can imagine they don't go into these large factories every day and handle all 60,000 birds to make them friendly. Uh, They are not going to be too keen on being flipped upside down and having their tushes checked. So that could be quite a little uh, feat to to do every week. Yeah, you might have that little romantic notion that, you know, I saved this hen from the factory and she's going to jump into my arms and plant kisses all over me. Um, She's probably not going to be too fond of humans. I'm just guessing. Yeah. We've never had a battery head, but I'm just sort of guessing. I don't know. <laughs> well, you could see how friendly they are when they have normal, frequent human contact. Yeah. I mean, a leghorn is not the friendliest bird anyway. They right. are usually quite skittish. 
And when they are bred for peak performance, I don't think friendliness is near the top of the list or anywhere on the list as a requirement. Well, and then they're grown to two years and you figure what kind of contact have they had with people so far? Mm -hmm. Probably not positive experiences. I'm just guessing. Yeah, that's going to take quite a while to um, help them relearn that people are not the enemy. Yeah. Another thing you're going to deal with very likely is vitamin deficiencies. Mm. Their nutrition is going to be pretty poor uh, by the time they get to you. And one thing you ought to think about doing if you decide to bring some of these home is get them on vitamin supplements right away. Mm -hmm. Do the just, you know, the, the little packets where you add it to their water and real easy to do. But where we might do it with our flock once a month, you probably want to do it on sort of a regular basis again for that first month to just get them. Give them a little boost. Yeah. You want to give their immune system a kick in the pants. <laughs> That's right. Now, Don, one thing that you brought up when we were discussing this uh, question we got from Yulia is about their legs. And it's not something that I ever really thought about, but you brought up that there's a good chance that these hens are going to have really weak legs. And when we were discussing it, it's like, yeah, they've been in cramped cages where they couldn't walk. You know, it's not like they had a whole backyard to walk in and they got regular exercise. Right. They didn't move hardly at all. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you're going to want to think about that when you're putting their coop together. You don't want to put a perch four feet off the ground because uh, even if they go in there and sort of figure out what to do with it, mm. not a good idea for them to be jumping from four feet down to the ground yeah. on those legs that just haven't really de been developed. So, so it might take them a while to even figure out, what do I do with perches? I've never seen one in my entire life. Mm -hmm. They've slept on a cage floor. So they're probably going to spend a while just sleeping in the bedding. Mm -hmm. And that can present a few little housekeeping challenges for you. Right. If they're going to be uh, sleeping in their bedding, you're going to want to make sure that there aren't mites living in that bedding and breeding and getting on your chicken. So you're going to probably want to change that bedding a little more frequently than you would if you had chickens that spent the night up on a perch. Um, you also may want to consider sprinkling food-grade diatomaceous earth in the bedding to keep that problem at bay. And if you built the coop yourself or if you have an ability to sort of adapt it, think about providing some low perches in there to sort of let them practice on those. You know, just a couple inches off the ground will do it. Mm -hmm. Just let them sort of get used to like, oh, this is <laughs> this roost pole. I kind of like sitting on here. I don't know why, but I kind of like it. And uh, But it's not four feet off the ground where if they try and jump down from it, they're going to hurt their legs because their legs aren't developed yet. Give them something short, maybe six inches. It doesn't have to be two inches off the ground, mm -hmm. but six inches, 10 inches, just for them to sort of figure out the whole perch thing because it's not something they've been exposed to. Right. Now, another thing to think about is if you have one of those ramps that leads up into your coop, they may actually need a little help getting up that ramp. Um, again, like Don said, they may have weak legs, they're getting stronger, but if they're walking around down in the run area and then they got to make their way up a ramp, they may need a little bit of assistance. Like one of those motorized chairs that goes up the stairs? Oh, that would be awesome. Or like an elevator. Just have it like when they step on it, it senses the pressure and then just lifts them up into the coop. All right. Another thing to think about is chicken toenails. If you have backyard chickens, you've probably noticed that you really don't have to trim them that often. I'm trying to think of when the last time we do. We, we will usually trim some toenails when we do the backyard chicken class. Mm -hmm. But that's not because they're getting long. It's just sort of take the point off of them <laughs> so that they aren't, you know, drawing blood from everybody we hand them to. Yeah, everybody leaves our classes with scratches all up their arms. Like, what did you do this weekend? <laughs> yeah. Other than that, it's been a while since we've trimmed toenails. And mm -hmm. you may have that same experience. The reason for that is because your chickens spend all day walking around scratching in the dirt and that wears the nails down at a pretty good rate so that they don't grow. Right. Well, the problem with a battery hen is uh, they've probably never seen dirt in their life. I mean, they've lived in a cage with wire mesh on the ground, no room to move around. So their nails would probably be extremely long when you get them. Now, hopefully the rescue will have trimmed them for you. But if they didn't, they're going to need a little trim with some dog nail clippers. Easy to do. Just uh, one tip is to have a friend help you. Yes, definitely. A lot now, easier like, to do with two people than one. 
yeah, their little legs get going and uh, it's not, they, they don't really enjoy it. I'll just put it that way. No. <laughs> um, so what about quarantining battery hens? If you have an existing flock, I would, I would really consider quarantining them for the normal 30 days, same as you would with any chicken. Anytime you're bringing a chicken onto your property and you have a flock already, quarantine it for 30 days, keep an eye on it for that time and look for any signs of illness that might pop up because of the stress of moving. Mm -hmm. And now some people will debate that and they'll say, well, the factories keep the birds pumped full of antibiotics to keep them healthy and disease free. So you don't need to worry about that. But personally, would you really want to take that chance with your existing flock? In the words of the Georgia Department of Agriculture, <laughs> don't take any chances, kill them all. <laughs> I mean, don't take any chances. Leave out the second part. Yeah, that's right. Okay, now, so far, these haven't been too big of a deal. No. I mean, it's not that they're really big things. There's just a lot of little things. Mm -hmm. uh, here's where we're going to add some things. Um, and we're going to talk about feeding the battery hens when they come home. Now, you got to understand that these hens have no concept of free-ranging. Mm -hmm. You can try and explain it to them all day long. <laughs> they aren't going to get it. They have to experience it for themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, after living in a cage for two years, you put them in the coop, they might not even leave the coop for a few days. I mean, even though you got a wide open door and the sunshine, you think they're going to be out there skipping down the trail, you know, playing with the butterflies, there's a very good chance they're just going to stay in the coop and maybe peek out and what the heck is going on out there? It's very bright. And then when they finally do go out, it might take them a while to figure out the normal chicken behaviors like mm. scratching in the ground and looking for bugs and worms. And it's like, you know, all these things are going to take them time to discover. And that may be very rewarding for people to see. I mean, I got to imagine if those hens are sitting in a coop for a couple days and then they finally come out and, you know, and then maybe a day later they find a worm. I, you know, that would be pretty rewarding, I think. I don't mean this as a knock, but I'll bet you people who rescue battery hens are publishing more pictures of their hens doing weird things on Facebook than anybody else. <laughs> it's like, yeah. my two-year-old just finally ate a bug. <laughs> yeah. I'm gotta, so proud. Look at the worm she's eating. I can imagine I'd be that way too. Now, the food that these battery hens ate was in a mash form, which is a real fine ground feed. So you can't go from them eating that to, hey, let's put them on pellets. They're going to need um, that finely ground feed consistency for about a week, some maybe more. So if you normally use pellet feed with your existing flock, I would, I would mix it into the mashed feed for a while um, really slowly until they get used to it and they start. you notice that they start eating the pellets. Yeah, just transition them. You don't want to just throw them into pellets right away. Mm -hmm. Another thing you want to think about in terms of feeding is you might want to give them some grit for a little while at least. Mm -hmm. Just until they figure out their foraging behaviors because they won't be getting any grit naturally from the ground if they aren't rooting around and pecking things out of the ground. So they're going to need some help to break down the foods that they're eating and I don't know that I would put a time on this, but it just doesn't hurt to have grit in there if they don't need it. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to have it not available if they do need it. So right. I would leave it in there for a while until it looks like they're picking up the whole foraging thing and they are like, oh yeah, okay, they're doing normal chicken behaviors. They should be finding enough grit on their own to be able to process the food. Okay. Here's one thing that I think I would have a hard time not doing. This goes against every fiber in your being, I think, if you're the type of person who wants to rescue a battery hen. Right, because you're like, I'm going to give you this amazing life, and I'm going to start with giving you treats. Because what chicken does not love treats? And this poor chicken's never had a treat before. So you're going to get out the watermelon. You're going to get out, you know, every little treat that chickens love and start feeding them. No. You need to resist the urge to stuff them full of treats. You're going to want to wait a little while before you start introducing them. And when you do, really introduce them slowly. Because if you give them too many treats too soon, you could make them sick. Try and imagine like you adopted a child who came from a bad home. Mm -hmm. And then you took them home and you want to show them how much you love them, 
So you feed them nothing but Snickers bars for the first three weeks. <laughs> I would love to live in that home. Yeah, but you're not going to be a healthy child at the end of that three weeks. You're going to be very, very sick. Mm-hmm. Same kind of thing with the treats. Take it easy on the treats for a while. Remember, their bodies are not healthy when you're getting them. Unless you're going to one of the hen rescue places and maybe they have some birds that have been sort of already through that process. But we're kind of assuming that you're getting them sort of in the factory state. Mm-hmm. Give their body the resources in terms of nutrition and the time it needs to sort of get to a healthy level before you start filling them full of treats. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. That's a good idea. Okay. Another thing to think about, I kind of save this for down near the end because this one always freaks me out. (laughs) One of the things they always do to keep the birds from picking at each other in those tight little cages is clip their beaks. Mm -hmm. They just clip the ends of their beaks off so they don't have a point. Mm -hmm. The problem with this is they can't pick stuff up They can sort of scoop things Mm -hmm. in, you know, but they can't pick things up usually. Well, and if you've ever seen a picture of a hen with a clipped beak, it is so sad. Yeah. Because it just does not look normal. So they may have a really hard time uh, foraging. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it depends primarily on when they did this at the factory, did they cauterize it or not? Mm-hmm. sometimes, and I think more often than not, what they do is they clip the beak and then they cauterize it so that it doesn't grow back. Right. Well, the problem is once they cauterize it, it's not ever going to grow back. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they didn't cauterize it, the beak will actually eventually grow back into a normal beak. But if they did cauterize it, it's going to be that way. There's just nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. And so it might be a permanent situation for some hens. All right. When we talk about water, and watering your chickens, we always recommend using chicken nipples. Uh, That's what we use for our flock. We believe in them strongly. (laughs) The chickens seem to love them. And if you're using them as well and you rescue a battery hen, that's going to be one thing where you're a step ahead because in the factories, they have nothing but nipple waterers. Matter of fact, that's the only thing that Big Egg and I agree on. (laughs) Yeah. So When you bring them home, they'll take to that rather quickly. Now, if you don't use chicken nipples and you use, you know, a different kind of watering system, you're going to really want to watch them carefully to make sure that they, first of all, figure it out. And second, they're actually using it. Yeah, they're used to drinking with their heads in the up position. Mm -hmm. And they're not used to dipping down and scooping water and trying to then throw it back into their heads into the up position so that they can drink it down. And sounds really simple, but they've been doing this for two years. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to break old habits. And Yeah, it's all they know. You just want to make sure they can kind of figure it out before you just sort of leave it to them. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the last thing we want to talk about is integrating the flock. Usually when you think about integrating a flock, you think about adding a few birds to a flock you've already got established. Or maybe even bringing two smaller flocks together. And of course, when you do this... You shake up everybody's world (laughs) because each flock has their own pecking order. And then when you mix them, they have to spend some time refiguring that pecking order and figure out who's in charge, who's number two, who's number three, all the way down to the last one. And the process of working that out uh, sometimes involves what we politely call bullying, Mm -hmm. but can actually get pretty nasty. Right. Uh, That's why usually when you're putting flocks together, you do it in a very slow, deliberate, staged fashion. You don't just take two flocks and throw them into the same room and say, good luck. Well, it's very stressful and could possibly be very, very physically uh, dangerous for them. Yeah, it can lead to injuries very quickly if it's not done well. Mm -hmm. But something that isn't obvious is that you may have to integrate the flock you bring home from the factory with each other. Right. Right. Keep in mind that each of these birds had five other cellmates that she lived with for the last year or so. That was her flock. Mm-hmm. And then when they rescued these birds, they didn't keep them all together in six packs. Right. <laughs> they just mixed them all together. So the birds that you bring home have probably never seen each other before. Mm. And they're going to have to start figuring out the pecking order with each other the day you bring them home. And- You have the potential for some serious conflicts among the hens. And given that they aren't in the greatest shape to begin with, I mean, it's possible that just normal hen pecking, 
you could end up with some seriously injured birds. Yeah, so you'll want to keep an eye on them right away. And if you have to, step in and try and keep the peace. But monitor their behavior to see how they're sort of figuring it out. Mm -hmm. If you're lucky, it goes pretty smooth and it's not really a big deal. But you want to make sure if it is going to be a big deal, you're there to sort of nip it in the bud. Right. Uh, one thing you can do, especially with, especially to avoid food bullying, is make sure you have more than one feeder to start off with. If you have two feeders separated by, you know, four or five feet, it's a lot harder for a few birds to keep another bird from eating. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So this is quite a list of things to think about when deciding if getting battery hens is something you want to do. I hope we didn't paint it in too negative of a picture, but we want it to be realistic. And if you don't mind giving them a little extra loving care and attention for a while, this might be very rewarding for you personally. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, uh, you may realize that it's a little bit more work than you're prepared for. And honestly, there's no shame in that. I think, you know, you could have a heart for them and you can say, wow, that was a real sad situation that they were brought in, but it's just not a hen I want to bring into my flock. Yeah, and it's better to decide that now than after you take home 20 of them mm. and then you go dump them back at the shelter. Right, absolutely. So, as always, thank you for listening. If you like the show, consider going to iTunes and giving us a really nice rating over there. Also, tell a friend, get them listening. And if you want to see the show notes for this episode, go to onlinechickenschool.com slash the number 49. Well, that's all for today. Talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Online Chicken School podcast. Look for us on the web at onlinechickenschool.com.